Just before we dismiss the kids this morning, I'd like to ask um, our elders, Glenn and John, if you could come up, and Uncle Steve and Uncle Jones, we want to pray for you. We support them every month in New Hope, Uganda, and we're so glad to have them here with us this morning. And uh, we want to pray the Lord's blessing on them. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this ministry that you've raised up and uh, that we can be a part of in financial support and in sending um, teams over. And, and even as Pastor Jeremy's been there um, in recent days teaching and training pastors. And Lord, we, we just uh, pray for um, your righteousness for, and, and for your kingdom to, be, to grow in Uganda and for you to use this ministry uh, in doing that, in reaching children, um, in reaching pastors and teaching them, and, and um, just providing the fatherhood of God to the fatherless. Lord, we're, we're, we just entrust them to your hand and by your grace that you would do your work through them. And thank you that, uh, for, that we can be a part. All right, we'll dismiss our kids to um, Children's Church at this time. And uh, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And as I get started, I would like to... Uh, um, the Lord's just laid something on my heart that uh, I want to bring some clarification to. Uh, two messages ago that I, uh, I was talking... Um, giving kind of a personal testimony and talking about how the evil one can bring um, accusation uh, when there's sin. And uh, to, I, I, it wasn't really clear on that, and I want to I wanna clarify that statement a little bit. Um, because sin can disqualify us in ministry. Sin can disqualify us. But it never disqualifies us from God's grace. Sin never disqualifies us from God's grace. And that's the lie we often hear from the devil, is that we have been sinning, we, this is a repeated thing, we're coming to God again to ask for forgiveness, and we think, no, I, I can't do that. But we need to, that's where we need to take our sin. The other thing I mentioned last week, I, I mentioned Christian freedom, and I said the only thing guarding Christian freedom was love. And I hope you got from the context of my message also that there is obedience that's necessary. But I wanted to, again, clarify and also ask for forgiveness. If, if anyone was stumbled by, um, by my not clarifying that, that um, we are not free to sin. In Christian freedom, we are not free to sin. And we... Everything, every choice we make is to be governed by love. And that is our love for God foremost and our love for our brothers and sisters. That we do not cause them to stumble. The grace of God does not give us allowance to sin, but is available to us when we do sin. The grace of God is a wonderful thing.
Well, last week we ended, my last slide was our death in Christ. We were talking about death and uh, how the things of this world that it's so easy to look to to add to our faith in Christ, such as rules and legalism, the do's, um, such as the experiences, which are mentioned in our text, such as worship of angels or um, looking to visions, and also the do-nots, the denial of self, the denial of our, our flesh, hoping that will somehow bring us closer to God. And we are told in that context that we have died with Christ to this world. And those things are of no effect. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They have no value. Well, this week we're going to talk about life. Life in Christ. So, just to, uh, but just before we do, I have a funny story I got permission to share with you. My daughter is a missionary, and this morning she is visiting another church, seeking to um, share with them about what God's doing and hoping to raise support. She has to have 100% support before she can return in, in uh, November. And I'm not, please don't misunderstand me in, in sharing this. I, I'm not trying to raise up money from you. Our church is supporting her. I'm asking for you to pray for her, okay? Um, that, that God would lay this vision on others' hearts and... Uh, but anyways, we were on vacation, and you know she's been planning this family vacation for years. We were excited about it. We were together. We were in the car. She had bought some treats, and we're coming home. She's lo looking at these treats and going, I got these for 99 cents. It was jerky. And uh, um, so here's, the, here's the, the aesthetic part where she denial of self. She, she turns them over and goes, Oh, no, these are dog treats. <laughs> she brought them over uh, Friday night and gave them to me for my dog. <laughs> and my dog, sometime in the night, sometime when I got up in the morning, the bag was shredded. The dog had eaten them all. So the dog enjoyed her, her uh but seriously, back into our context, we cannot, um, as, we, as we talk about what we need to live the Christian life, we cannot just adjust our lifestyles. And Paul is going to give instruction further on as we go through chapter 3 here. He's going to give instruction to, uh, to adjust, uh, I'm sorry, to adjust, okay? Thank you. This thing is, I've been fighting it all morning, but we'll try to get it to work. Thank you. Um, we're not, we're, we cannot just adjust our lifestyle um, or behavior. We, it has to come from our heart. 
has to come from our heart. And that's what the text addresses this morning. So today I pray that you will come to a deeper understanding of the love of God with which you have been loved, that you may love Him deeper. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind to this word. But be do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we know the will of God? Well, Romans 8.29 tells us that e- even in our call to worship, it tells us that the will of God is for us to be transformed to be conformed to the image of his son. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we um, read our text this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would uh, guide me in the words I use, help me to be careful. And uh, Lord, uh, I thank you for this tremendous opportunity to study your word how exciting this passage has been to me this week, and I I just pray that it will in turn be exciting to everyone who hears it, that we see that we are complete in Christ, and what you have done, what you have accomplished, and what you are even doing right now. We pray this in your name, amen. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If then, if then, this could be translated since, since you have received Christ, since you have been born again. You see, you can't live the Christian life if you're not a Christian. You must have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. In uh, chapter 2, verse um, Verse 11 and 12, he says, having been, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. We aren't saved by anything we can do, any behavior modification, any change in lifestyle. No, once we have sinned, and we can all agree that we've sinned once, We are a sinner. We bear God's condemnation for sin. His wrath. That penalty. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
It's by faith in His finished work. He took, He forgave our trespasses by nailing them to the cross, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. So we must have received Jesus Christ. It says then that we are raised together. If then you have been raised with Christ. You see, you've been given new life in Christ. He has given you a new life. He has given you where once you were under God's condemnation, now you are a child of His. You are adopted as a son or a daughter. And you have been raised with Christ. You have been given new life. We are a new creation in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of dead, that was Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. By each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to, to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. He says that if Christ was not raised, our faith is in vain. We have not... We, we, have nothing to go on. But because Christ was raised from the dead, our faith is in Him, and He has given us a new life. For the first time, we can love who God is and love what is right, to love righteousness. Before, all we loved, all we cared about was ourselves. Had we, we might have sought higher things. We might have tried to be good. But it was all about me. It was all about us. Since having new life in Christ, He has given us a love for Him, an adoration for Him, a worship of Him, a love for others that involves sacrifice but most of all, love for Him. He says, If, then, you have been raised with Christ, seek, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. So here Christ is giving us He's equipping us for how to live the Christian life. Because we all know we still battle with sin. 
We still struggle. How do we live this battle? It starts here. Not by modifying our behaviors. Not by an effort to change for change's sake. So that maybe we'll look better in other people's eyes. God brings that about, but it starts here. It starts with our mind. It starts with our heart. Where are we invested? What are we wrapped up in? I want you to ask yourself that question honestly. What consumes you? What consumes your thoughts every day? What is priority? Well, that's a hard question, isn't it? Because God has given us different responsibilities. As a father, for years, I've had my kids concerned, my wife concerned at heart. But God calls us to an even greater priority, to set our mind, to set our heart on things above. Well, what does that mean, things above? Some people that I've encountered have thought that means like the streets of gold and the big gates that are going to be one single thoroughfare. Awesome! But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about setting our mind on the person who And His Word. Because through His Word, He tells us His will. He reveals who He is and what His will is. So He calls us to set our heart, set our mind, to seek after those Him and His Word. Now, as I was thinking about this and, and uh, remembering 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed out by... Or, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then Ephesians 5.26 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. You see, all those other things at the end of chapter 2 have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what does God call us to? What is going to help us in that battle with the flesh? It's going to be setting our mind on Him, on His Word. Filling our hearts with His will, with His mindset, with being wrapped up with Him. And as I was thinking about this, I came to the realization that I knew very little about what Jesus was doing right now. And so I started studying, and this just got me so excited. But as we, as we get there, 
I want you to, to listen to what the disciples thought when Jesus told them that he was about to leave them. He says in John chapter 16, verse 16, he says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. In chapter 13, when he introduced this subject to them, he said, I'm going away. <laughs> Their response was, Peter said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. It was, they were distraught when they heard that Jesus was going to leave. In fact, Jesus, in, in chapter 15, he says, he, he tries to, um, he, he attempts to give them um, to tell them that he will not leave them alone. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him, and whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The disciples had anxiety when they heard that Jesus was leaving. In fact, Jesus said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from me. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Well, then we read 
when Jesus, the ascension actually came, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he had, he had um, shown himself to hundreds of people. In Luke chapter 24, he said, Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. What brought this change? Jesus told them, I'm, about to, I'm going to leave you. They were filled with sorrow. Is that how we feel? Wouldn't it be better if Jesus were here? He did, why did he have to leave? Why did he go? Wouldn't it be better if Jesus was right here, right now, preaching to his church? Wouldn't that be wonderful? So why did he have to go? But then when he did go, the disciples had great joy. What happened? Well, he opened up the scriptures to them. He explained. He showed them from the scriptures what he was about to accomplish for them. They realized his great love and the necessity of him to return to his father. They were filled with great joy. So, what happens with the ascension? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? In John 1.18, it says that Jesus is sit, seated at the right hand of God and and, and that word there is different from this word. That word says Jesus is at the bosom of God. Here's John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who was in what position at the Last Supper? Leaning against Jesus' bosom. And he says, that's where, where Jesus is now. That's where Jesus is now. But there's one other aspect I want you to see in Jesus' ascension, and that's recorded by, again, Luke in Acts. So I'll just read this. Verse, Acts 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They anticipated, here's the risen Lord. He is God. Will you now establish your kingdom here? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus said, Jesus, per, Jesus was taken up in a cloud. It's revealed to us here. That the cloud was the Shekinah glory that we heard about in Exodus that filled the temple. God took Jesus up into heaven. And what occurred there? His coronation. He was crowned King of Kings. That's what it means by His being at the right hand of God. God doesn't have a right hand. This is for helpful for us written this way to help us understand he was of God's favor. He was of the position of authority. He is on the throne. So we see Jesus' glory in his ascension. We saw that he promised a helper. And in John he said, I cannot send that helper to you unless I ascend. Jesus sent the Comforter, which means with strength, the one who would give us power and strength to enable us to live this life that he has called us to. He is enthroned. His kingdom has been established and will last forever. Christ has established the church to be the visible representation of His invisible kingdom. The world can't see His kingdom yet. We are the ones of whom they will see His kingdom. The way we live our lives, we need power to do that. And Christ sent His Holy Spirit to give us that power. He is the King. He is triumph. He is over all authority. He is the Lion of Judah. But He's also our intercessor. He has said that He has gone to as our High Priest. Remember, at His death, the curtain was torn to the Holy of Holies. Now, anyone could have access to the Holy of Holies, to the mercy seat. Not just a priest once a year. A son of Aaron. Jesus is not a son of Aaron. He was a priest because He is appointed by God. Because He lived that perfect life. He alone is the only man who lived the perfect requirement of God. And God made him our high priest. 
And he is at God's hands praying for you and for me. Isn't that stunning? Does that give you a better realization of the life that God has called us to live? That He has equipped us? He didn't just leave us and say, clean up your act. And He tells us to look to Him, to set our minds on Him, to set our hearts on Him, to be wrapped up, to be consumed with Him and what He is about. That He is our King. That He is our enabler. That He has delivered us from the power and presence of sin. He has brought us into the throne room of God. Because we are in Him. Death and life. You have died. He says, for you have died. Come up again. We have died to this life. We have died to these concerns. To this consuming passion for ourselves. To this life devoted to destruction. We have died to that. Life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. Is that hard to understand? It's hard to accept, isn't it? It's hard to comprehend, but it's truth. We are hidden with Christ in God. That means when God looks at you, When God looks at me, He doesn't see Dan Long first of all. He sees Jesus Christ. And that perfect life that Christ lived. And when He sees Dan Long, He doesn't see Dan Long with his sin. He sees Jesus Christ. We are hidden with Christ in God. How is this accomplished? Because Jesus is in heaven. Because He is our high priest. He is our representative before God. He lived the life we couldn't live. He paid the sacrifice that God demanded in His wrath. He was raised again. And He is ascended. And He's on His throne. Those songs this morning were wonderful. Thank you, worship team. Um, they do a lot of work. and I don't know. I, I pastor probably communicates a lot more than I do. I sent an email saying, um, this is my text and this is our call to worship. and That's it. 
So you can see God's divine appointment and His grace even in our worship service this morning as we sang and glorified Him with song of praise. God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. Jesus, in um, when He was facing Caesar, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, Oh, I just had that that wrong. Not Caesar, Pilate. Forgive me. Then Pilate said to him, So, you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. He asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greatest sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. But you see, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. But he has all authority. He is in control of all. Everything you do, everything someone does to you, Christ has all authority and he is on his throne. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, I just encourage you to read that, John 17. He talks about his glory, he talks about praying for. Us, that that intercession that he is accomplishing even now for each of us, that we would live according to his word, according to his righteousness. Remember, Peter, I mentioned, I read the passage where Jesus said that Peter would betray him after Jesus was resurrected and he had eaten with the disciples. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 22. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might your faith may not fail. 
And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, that he would deny him. So this was before, even before Peter denied him, I'm sorry. But Jesus prayed for him. Prayed for him. That he might strengthen his brother. Why did the denial of Jesus not bring an end to Peter apostleship? Because Jesus prayed for him. And Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for you. When Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a promise here that Christ isn't done. Christ, who is your life. That's the reminder this morning from this text. Christ is to be our life. We are to be wrapped up in Him. We are to be concerned about what His will is. We need to be looking to His Word to find what His will is. What should we do? It's here. We need to be wrapped up with Christ. Then, you also will appear with Him in glory. Although the world may not now recognize those whose lives are hidden with Christ in God, that will not always be the case. When Christ comes again, when He is revealed, we also will be revealed in glory. God will, Christ will complete that work in us, that sanctifying work. His redemptive work is finished. But His sanctifying work, it says when we see Him, we will be like Him. The fact that Christ is in heaven means that when we die, we are ushered into His presence. Isn't that a wonderful thing that we can know? We have that assurance. Paul describes our life as in Christ. Christ does not merely give life, He is life. But we must live our lives around the risen life that we have been given a life that is all about Him. So what sh- how should we respond to this? How can we um, take 
this knowledge of the ascension of Christ and all that He is, has done and is doing for us, what can we do with that? Well, we need to remember that we're still sinners. We need to remember that we can run to the cross. We can run to Him for forgiveness. We need to be or have lives that are filled with prayer. Communion with Him. Talking to Him. Because we have access to Him. We need to see how that we should abandon a life of worldliness. We are called to a different life. A life that isn't consumed with the things of this world, but a heavenly kingdom. The things that matter are the things that are eternal. The Word of God and the souls of men. And we need to be... You remember what Jesus said when the disciples said, is it now that you will bring your kingdom to this earth? And He said, it's not for you to know the time. But I will go and I will send my Comforter the one who will strengthen you. And you will be my witnesses. That's what God has called us to do. That's our work, our kingdom work, to be His witnesses in this world. To live our lives for Him. In evidence of what He has done and what He has accomplished. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great for your grace and Lord, even as I stumble through um, the message this morning, I pray that you would cause it to land in our hearts with this realization of the glo- your glorious ascension. How it is testimony of your coronation. how it teaches us that You are interceding for us. How You care for us. How You desire for us to live a life that You have called us to. How You have empowered us by Your Holy Spirit living in each of us. Taking up residence in Lord, I pray that You will be glorified. That Your kingdom will grow as others hear the good news as we are Your witnesses. In Your precious name, Amen.